Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. And for the month of May, for all the Moving Iron Podcast listeners, if you're interested in getting a new t- pair of tires, go to Axon uh, website, Axon's website and use uh, special code SPRAYER and you'll get a 5% discount on Alliance 354 AgriFlex tires. So that's just for Moving Iron Podcast listeners. And also, if you uh, talk to an Axon rep and you uh, want to get that same discount, just tell them that you heard it on Moving Iron Podcast, and you will get the same 5% discount on those Alliance 354 AgriFlex tires. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. If you're looking to see what's going on in the auction marketplace, a great place to go look and see what's going on is Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps. And that will give you a great picture into the world of what's actually happening in the equipment marketplace. So if you're interested in doing that, at checkout, use Moving Iron, and you get yourself another discount. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the markets. So, Sean, uh, we're recording this here on Thursday the 13th. Wednesday, there was a WASD report that came out, kind of gave a new look at uh, what new crop might start to look like. And um, kind of a rough week in corn, you know, it looks like starting out Monday all the way through uh, Wednesday. I haven't seen what the ticker looks like today, but um, there was kind of, it kind of started to go backwards, but a lot of that's just showing up some longs and taking some profit and those kind of things. And uh, I I tell you what, soybeans look like the little train that could, but back to the volatility point that we've been talking about here on this podcast for the last two months, um, I saw yesterday in one of my one of my ticker reports that there was a uh, uh, June soybeans hit forty one and a half and they closed at twenty five and some change. So there's a big swing there, almost a twenty cent swing there in the day. So I guess as you look at this volatility, a lot of stuff to kind of keep your head on the swivel about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we have to keep the the, the April report. Uh, in perspective, it's the it sets the benchmark. It's the first new crop estimate the USDA comes out. It sets, you know, it sets the uh, the standard by which we, you know, make decisions going forward or make uh, adjustments going forward. They always say trend line yield. They're the acres from March. They fiddle with the d- demand and say we're, we're gonna. It's all gonna work, which is what they should do this time of year. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. Um, Planting is going along fantastically well. 
we're getting a little timely moisture in, in, in some places. So we're, we're, you know, we have a very good, we're going to have a very good start to the crop as we've been talking about before. And um, so, you know, with that in place, the new crop is, is going to, you know, struggle a little bit while we're getting a good start to the growing season. And that's why we've continued to feel new crop pricing is going to struggle until we get into, let's say early June, when we start, you know, getting the drought cycle going and, and to start trading, well, maybe, maybe, you know, a perfect crop isn't going to happen. And then we, then we trade that, but the old crop soybeans, Casey, we don't have any, right? So right. when the, when the, when the USDA says we have 110 million, you know, ending stocks, what they're telling you is we don't have any. So soybeans are going to be all over the place on the old crop. It could be up a dollar, down a dollar. It, it, it's the marginal buyer who says, I still need some. I'll pay whatever I have to pay. It's going to be a really wild situation on, you know, old crop soybeans. And I really have no idea how to forecast it because it's, it's, it's just going to be whenever buyers have to come in and buy and there's just nothing for sale. And it's just going to be a wild ride when you literally run out of something, which is what we've, it's what's happening in old crop soybeans here in the U.S. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things too. Even if you had a trend line yield, you'd still, we would still be in somewhat of a deficit. I mean, we wouldn't have the carry out even even at that point. So, there's there's some struggles there. Well, the USDA said even if everything goes perfectly well, our our ending stocks will increase a little bit, but they're still going to be uncomfortably tight. Yeah. Um, assuming they're correct about uh, about demand. So. You know, and that's if everything goes well. So if, if, if something doesn't go well, we quickly get into trouble again because those buffer stocks that we had for eight years are, you know, have been removed this past season. And that, 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 what, that, what does that mean? Volatility is here to stay. Yeah. And, and we actually think it's going to get a little chaotic this summer. You know, which it's, we've had actually a fairly orderly move until recently. Uh, now we're starting to get a little, some, some chaotic move. We're going to get, I think, fairly chaotic if the market worries we're not going to have a large enough crop to make things work. Then, then you're going to really see things get pretty, I think, pretty unsettling for you know in, into that late June, July timeframe. We think. All right. So, two things. One, we have a today being Thursday. We have a um, export report that's coming out. Do you expect much out of that? I mean, they're not expecting much at all. Is kind of what they're what they're looking at here. But I mean, I guess we really don't have a lot to to export. But I guess. What's your thoughts there, and, and what what kind of what would you expect to see today? Well, I mean, I think you know we're we're really we're really looking at new crop exports now, in my opinion, because we don't really have a low lot of left to sell in the old yeah. crop anyway. So, so you know, they break it down to how much is is the, is the current year and how much is the new year, and I'd be looking at uh, how those are lining up. I think at least for corn. I can't imagine we're not going to continue to see strong exports to the new crop, given what's gone, what's happened to Brazil, and the lack of exports out of there. I think everyone's going to, you know, be looking to book some, some orders, especially on this correction. You know, I mean, look, new crop. You know, we've had a nice setback here on December uh, corn. I think buyers are going to look at any of those breaks and say, time to book some orders. So whether that's early enough to make this report, or we have to wait till next. You know, next Thursday to see, but but I would be looking for big exports on breaks for the new crop corn. That would be something I'd be paying attention to. Probably not this week. Next week, though. Let's talk about the dollar for a minute and exports. You know, here we're talking about exports and what we see happening there, but in more of a kind of a a, a different light. 
So inflation wasn't a problem, inflation wasn't a problem, inflation wasn't a problem, and I guess inflation is a problem. Um, every report that's come out here this week in the last three or four days have just been like, we have an inflationary issue coming up that we don't exactly know how to handle, unless you're talking to the Fed and everything's great. So I guess what's your thoughts on where the dollar's at, how that's going to affect exports, how that's going to affect commodity prices, and, and how that whole inflation thing ties into that? We kind of feel that most of the rise that we've seen in agriculture has been fundamentally based thus far. Mm -hmm. We really don't see an overpricing of the market based on the fundamentals, according to us. Mm -hmm. um, but if, we, but if, 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 if this inflation fear, um, and maybe starting to realize some of this inflation, if we really get kind of a 1970s style inflation uh, run, or, or, or maybe you know, mid-late 2000s, you know, we had some inflation fear that really comes in. And what happens is, Casey, is you get markets to, to actually overprice. So, so with the same fundamentals, instead of corn being seven, it might maybe it's 10. And then if, if the inflation money really piles in and says, we want to own corn because we want to protect ourselves against not the fundamentals, but inflation, then you have to put that inflation premium in. We don't really think we've done that yet. We think the we think the grain markets are here because we, we have no corn left. We have no soybeans left. Right. And, and, yeah. and the prices justify where we're at fundamentally. But I do think we could enter a period where, let, let's say we have our crops are, are okay. Let's say, you know, and, and the fundamentals don't change much, but we still could see a big run higher if this inflation capital flow really starts to come in and says, we just want to own corn, no matter what, it, it, regardless of what the fundamentals are. That's what inflation does. It just puts a premium on everything. Uh, we think that actually could be what's part of the next year's move in commodities is, at least ag markets is, we put on you know, an inflationary component to, to an already bullish situation fundamentally. So we think that could be what happens in, in, you know, from, let's say, the fall to next summer. As you know, we're still believing we have higher prices to go. Uh, that, that could be what really sets these markets off onto a much higher ground than one would think otherwise. Yeah, that, that, that's funny how the inflation thing kind of picked up. It went from not really being a big issue to all of a sudden, like, I might want to pay attention to this. This it seems like there might be an issue here. Yeah. Well, apparently, uh, uh, apparently, as long as you don't have to eat, drive, um, you know, heat, heat your home, or have a power bill, if, you don't, if, you, if, you, if you're just there outside, Breathing, there's no inflation, so I think I think they're onto something there. Yeah, they could be. That they, they could be. They could be right right there in place. Absolutely. All right, let's jump over and talk about energy markets for just a second here. A couple things have popped up. Um, the Colonial Pipeline is is going to reopen here. Um, obviously, it's going to take a while to bring that back online, but the importance of the Colonial Pipeline is that it supplies 45 percent of the gasoline and diesel. Um, Oh, on on uh, across the, the southeastern part of the United States and the East Coast, um, that's like two and a half million gallons per day that go through there of, of refined gasoline and diesel. So that, and then you couple that with the Suez Canal is almost back to normal. Um, where do you see that? I guess we've seen some rise in commodity, you know, gasoline at the pump and you know oil, but still oil is kind of bouncing around on that sixty range, you know. Um, 60, 65 range kind of bounce around in there, dips back down to 58 for a while and comes back up. What do you think this does for demand? I guess, well, the more supply, I guess demand's already there. But I guess when you start looking at supply, do you foresee 
maybe some some lessening of pressure of at the pump uh, because of this and, and maybe some input costs to start to go down a little bit? Well, I mean, we've had closures of the pipeline when hurricanes come before. I mean, it's, yep. it's, this has happened before. Um, and they usually doesn't mean too much. The only th- reason why you have people waiting in lines at, at the pump is because everyone buys at the same time because, you know, it, when, when we have a hurricane down here, you know, in like two hours, there's no, there's no gasoline everywhere because everyone fills their tank up at the same time. If everyone just did what they normally would, we never would have had a line at the pump. It's because there, there is enough supply in the system to handle a week or two of, of, a, of a shutdown before it actually becomes a problem. So um, on the margin, obviously, if people go back to normal and stop <laughs> panic buying fuel, you know, things will calm down. Prices will calm down as gasoline. And But I guess the bigger picture is why in the world have we would we ever want almost half of our pipeline supply in the hands of one company that that to me is is a is a bigger issue is how could we let so, one entity control so much of our supply it, it's actually scary that 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 we have not we don't have a more diversified uh infrastructure you think there'd be some lessons learned here that where they'd want to go back and just try to start trying to figure out how to diversify that out so if one one line does go down there wouldn't be a big catastrophic issue down the line but i mean i think this is kind of one of those everyone's tried to got to try to get back to this uh or tried went to this just in time inventory thing and and coronavirus has really kind of shown that um there's a lot of holes in that if you're not careful and yeah our our, our infrastructure casey is per- correct is is a just-in-time infrastructure mm-hmm. we we can't handle two weeks of cold weather. We have rolling power outages because we have no excess capacity. We, we, you know, we have half our gasoline supply <laughs> in the hands of one entity that there's a problem. Yeah. There's no backup. I mean, we really, really, it's a huge wake-up call, Casey, that we got to get our act together and we got to re- redefine what, what is on our country's national interest um, and, and what, is, what, what is best for our overall long-term economic health to not have an infrastructure that can't handle one little problem it's really scary and we really yeah. need to do something about that as as soon as possible and this is another example you know that we're not we're not where we need to be yeah. we're not where we need to be I, I would be for the infrastructure plan that that uh the biden administration is pushing if the two trillion dollars actually went to to increase our infrastructure because this is a great example of that this is one of those things where moving things from one place to another and something shuts down or something bad happens in a weather event or an earthquake or something like that where you're going to shut down a big supply chain and all of a sudden we're just kind of left hanging you know i mean yeah, i'm fully you know. fully supportive of anything we could do to put the money that's required to build some some capacity in our overall infrastructure i mean we just we've got to do it casey because yep. because because one of these days something bigger is going to happen Yep. Um, and you know, and what happens if something bigger happens and that line is off for a month or two? Yep. I mean, the, the U.S. the economy comes to a standstill, shutdown. It's a lockdown yep. for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually a worse kind of lockdown there because at that point, you're actually dealing with the pressure of you just can't flat get it. It's even during the coronavirus, you could still get the stuff you needed. Right. This you just can't get it, and that I mean can't that that's a whole another level of stuff there and that's that's a that's 
pure chaos coming at you. Um, it it, it is pure chaos. So, so you know, <laughs> those in Congress and, and, and Biden and, you know, uh, I would get on with it as yep. soon as possible. I'd get yep. on with it. You know, I, look, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I know they're going to throw all kinds of other spending on this bill for other, all kinds of other things that may or may not have anything to do with infrastructure because that that's what government does. But, you know, I sure hope that they direct a good chunk of it for this purpose. Yeah, me too. So, well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Plenty of information here. I mean, a lot of stuff coming at us here. We kind of have a, kind of a wait-and-see approach here to what happened the rest of May here going into June. Planning season's wrapping up, so there's going to be a lot of a lot of volatility in the marketplace based on what we see happen there. So if folks want to reach out to you, get more information about Hackett Financial and what they can do, what's the best place to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of information on there for you to look at how we think and see if our way of looking at things might be of value to those that listen to your fantastic show. Well, thanks for that. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's also where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, all the the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast you can find at movingironllc.com. Also, you can find all the information for the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. That is going to be... Um, September 15th through the 17th at the Renaissance Hotel right downtown there in Nashville. So, uh, Also, Sean's going to be a speaker there, so check that out. The agendas for all the information that you need is going to be there. So there's going to be some good information that comes out of that. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher